if any of your listeners are doubting themselves or doubting their ability to make a change, the only way to find out is to take on the challenge to step out of your comfort zone and experience it. Test your ability to be resilient. Test your ability to overcome those challenges because what you learn in that process, the skills that you develop will make you a better person in general, but it'll also help you take on bigger challenges in in the life that you face, in the life that you're building. And along the way, if the challenges are are focused on improving the planet and sustainability, you're also doing something better for the world. Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you. Hear their struggles. And then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public, personal challenge of your own. You're not alone, and you don't have to wait for others. In our second conversation, you'll get to hear about Michael's spectacular blowout riding his bike. It sounds like a big problem, but you'll also hear he's developed fans of his riding, plus juggling his family obligations, making things work. Not easy. There were challenges, but he got it working. He also explains clearly his plans, his actions, his results. His clarity makes this episode speak for itself, so I'm not going to say a whole lot right now. And mainly, I hope that you will feel like acting on things you've meant to do but haven't because he breaks things down, makes it very simple, very direct, and just does it. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Good to hear from you again. Same here. I've been curious about... uh, how things have gone. If you don't mind my jumping right into things, I, I should say. Not at all. And partly because when I remember when you did this, a lot of people, when I talk to them about a challenge, they, they come back and they think, I don't really know what I'm going to do. And, uh, or maybe they thought of something specifically because they knew I would ask them. And you knew you had stuff in mind that you were going to do and you've thought about this. And so I, I felt like that's a different story. Like you have a more vested interest in doing this, but you also picked something I think more challenging than most people because you're going to be burning a lot more calories. And trying to juggle competing schedules with a partner and a son in daycare and a stressful Silicon Valley job. And <laughs> so all of that. I think you said something about rainy season two. Let's pile it on. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there definitely have been challenges and a lot of positives along the way. You mentioned exercise. It feels like all of the challenges that I envisioned I would face came to reality with the exception of one rather spectacular failure that I did not anticipate. Well, let's start with the facts. What was your original goal and and then what actually happened? Yeah, my my original goal was to either use my bicycle to commute to work or a combination of using my bicycle to get to the local shuttle stop and taking a, a shuttle into work with really to reduce my my impact from my love of driving and uh, pull another car off the road and uh, reduce my carbon emissions. So what happened? 
I aim to do it for 30 days of commuting. So we're in, in, um, I think I said originally said 30 days, um, not 30 days of, of commuting, but 30 days. And we're, we're past that 30 day checkpoint, which from the moment of our first conversation to today represents 25 days of eligible commuting into work. Are you reading this off a spreadsheet? It sounds like you've really kept track. No, I, I have kept track. I'm not reading off of a spreadsheet. That's funny though. And I, was able to drive in as I was sort of reflecting back. I was, um, or I was able to bike and bus a combination of 13. So just about half of those 25 days, I was able to work from home five of those 25 days, saving uh, the commute entirely, which was uh, a bit unusual. But my, my situation allowed the, that kind of flexibility. And unfortunately, I would, I had to drive seven out of the 25 days. And so that's about 30% of my, of my goal consisted of me taking my, my personal vehicle uh, to and from work. So those are the facts. That's what happened. Okay. And I'm thinking of next asking one of two questions. How did it feel? Like what was, like what were the ups and downs? And also what was this big spectacular failure? <laughs> uh, which you think you to, go with whichever one you want to go with first. Yeah, I was really excited about this goal and it felt achievable. I knew it was going to be hard because what I was foreseeing was a balance between myself and my partner to, for her, she's got a job where she flies regularly and commutes. And that puts me on daddy duty both in the morning and in the evenings and juggling uh, sickness and pick up and drop off at daycare at very particular times. And also just dealing with the schedule in the demands during a product launch season. So we've, we've just launched a lot of products. And so I think it was this confluence of uh, conditions that uh, I foresee challenges going ahead. So the first couple of weeks was really exciting because I was getting fresh air. I was uh, stretching my legs, burning calories, sweating, and getting into work feeling feeling better, feeling more energized, uh, ironically needing less coffee. Uh, I, I really enjoy uh, the kick in the pants that a great cup of coffee provides, but I was able to do that through exercise. So it, uh, it felt really, really good. The spectacular failure was a little bit of background. About three months ago, I was having a number of issues with uh, flat tires um, when I was commuting. And so I took it to a bike shop and paid a premium for a super tough tire. My tires were about 10 years old and uh, a brand new super tough tire that would um, was sold to me as resisting punctures and flats. And then they went ahead and filled the inner tube with the special compound that helps seal um, seal any punctures or flats. Mm-hmm. While like while riding? Yeah. So if you were to run uh, over you know a nail or glass or a metal shard for some reason while you're on the on the road, it would resist. It would be a super tough rubber that would resist um, puncturing. Okay. So two weeks in, I was weaving through the back streets of Palo Alto and uh, East Palo Alto uh, on, on my way into work. And out here in California, they've got these large plastic reflector discs that line usually line the center the center lane. And 
I was navigating past stop traffic on the left-hand side. And as I, as my back tire went over one of these, there must have been a sharp jagged edge, but my tire exploded. <laughs> and it, it sounded like, like a firecracker going off. And the vehicle that I drove past, the gentleman had his window down and I, out of the corner of my eye, saw him jump in surprises. <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh. I, I was, yeah, I, I was able to save myself from falling um, into the middle of the street and uh, hobbled over to the side of the road where I where I attempted to see if uh, a repair kit could be used. But this wasn't a, a typical failure of the inner tube. The entire sidewall of the rubber tire was shredded, and that put me out of commission for the last uh, last week and a half or so as I've been juggling several other priorities and haven't been able to make it back to the bike shop and sort of argue with them over a, a warranty repair. Well, that does sound like, I mean, it sounds like an accident. No one injured, I hope. Nobody injured, no. And I didn't foresee it. And it, it uh, was a significant uh, disruption in my ability to complete the goal. And I, I think that that was uh, unfortunate. Yes, it sounds unfortunate. I'm sorry, I keep laughing. This is the way, to me, the way you said it is funny. <laughs> I'm going to go back to the other question. How did it feel? How was the experience, the spectacular blowout, notwithstanding? Yeah, you know, uh, notwithstanding that that kind of you know, that kind of accident, I really did enjoy it. Now, I miss uh, I miss my bike because of uh, the exercise that it brought, and I even have cheerleaders here at work. So some of my colleagues, oh, really? uh-huh. uh, yeah, some of my colleagues have been I- encouraging me to continue to bike. Have been um, impressed with the distance of the commute, and in many ways, don't feel like they themselves could do it. But it's also an opportunity for me to shine the light back on them and say, well, if I can commute 17 miles one way on a bicycle, I know that you guys can can look at ways of reducing your impact too. And so it's planting the seed for them to consider. Uh, changes in their lives. And I know that that's a part of the experience too, is how do, how do we show through example our leadership and hopefully inspire others to take on some type of personal challenge in their life? Exactly. I, so many people from their perspective, other people are the big challenge because they think, well, I could do it, but if I don't, if they don't, what's the point? Or they won't take me seriously, or they think that other people will do the opposite of rooting for them. I guess I'll root against them. And What I found is that a lot of people, when they do these challenges, is they exactly what would be the challenge is what is the advantage. So you're using these people to be cheerleaders for you. You're using all the extra calories that you're burning as a reason to do it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and and sorry to interrupt. And you're putting it under the category of leadership. And that's leadership is doing what you want and doing what you feel is right before the others in the expectation that others will follow along. Oh, it, exactly. It's really, really well said. And I um, have seen some folks talk about talk about their increased use of the shuttle, their increased uh, use of bicycles going to and from their shuttle stop, while others have taken uh, a decidedly different approach, which is to purchase electric vehicles. Here in the state of California, because of the grid mix, an electric vehicle is equivalent to driving 87 miles per gallon. Um, far higher than the national average of a gasoline engine. 
and one of the highest in the countries in terms of MPG and electric vehicles. And I think that that is, you know, one could argue the impact of all those new materials. On the other hand, there are significant benefits to our climate, knowing that these vehicles are going to be out there anyway into the foreseeable future, at least changing the fuel mix and reducing the impact that way. Yeah, I guess I I do accept that the vehicles have to be out there, although I would say that far fewer need to be out there than are. I would agree. But that's other people we're talking. It's just you and me now. Although I'm curious, you mentioned these people changing. Is How many of that, did you mention that as a result of observing you and interacting with you, or were they doing that anyway, or are you accelerating something that was happening? I, I think it was a coincidence. I think it was my my experience and sharing my experience with my team was a catalyst for discussion around the topic and probably an inflection, uh, a moment for inflection um, or reflection in, in themselves uh, where they can share their story and their perspective. And um, that's where I think it is drawn from. So how does it feel to be an influence, even if it's however, however small? Oh, if, <laughs> no, it, it, it feels great. I think you know, we were talking um, in the first part of our discussion about the life of a, of a sustainability professional in these moments of where leadership is part of the part of the job, part of the brand. When you're asking folks to adopt a larger value set, it requires you leading by example and in turn sharing your experience with them in hopes that that there is an opportunity to influence, influence their thinking, their their values, their perspective, the questions they ask, how they approach their work. And it I, I've always been drawn to those those types of roles, those types of challenges. Um, I see it evolving in other ways in the company where it's very easy to shy away from the hard stuff. And I find myself drawn to it and then cursing myself because sometimes I get out of balance and um the draw of the challenge is something that I, at times, I'm addicted to. So I'm reading that it's. Would you describe it as, as satisfaction or what? I mean, I'm still. You're saying what you're doing. I'm still curious how it feels. Of like, is it? It sounds good. It sounds like something you like. Is it like satisfaction of a job well done? Is it like that you're yeah. dependable or? Yeah, I think. I think I feel satisfied and dissatisfied. I think I I set out for a goal and I didn't achieve it, and that is that that's where the source of the dissatisfaction is. But I do feel satisfied in the in the process in sort of uncovering the challenges that I face with sort of a, a discovery of of how hard it is in today's lack of urban planning or in the explosive growth of suburban areas that aren't friendly to bikers at times or aren't friendly to amending, you know, invented, amending your, your ways of, of operating, whether it's driving a, a car or getting local produce or, or something like that. I am sensitive to sort of reflecting back on how challenging it is, uh, challenging it is to raise a family and try to make it all work while at the same time trying to reduce your impact in several ways. I think it's probably related to the lack of urban planning or ready, readily available access to, to effective public transportation in a world that is go, go, go. There is no shortage of opportunity for improvement in all those areas, but they present very real challenges for sustaining this kind of challenge, let's say, year-round. 
and I know that it doesn't necessarily have to be, but when I, when I go for something, I, I usually want a hundred percent. I'm not really satisfied with 80% or 70%. Yeah. I, you know, a big thing for me is I've done a bunch of changes and I remark at how easy it is, like how much more convenient it is to cook from raw fruits and vegetables. And like I just made my lunch today was just, Oh my God, it's this incredible, uh, black beans and the squash and jalapenos and ginger, all of which I got from either the local bulk food store, which is all organic stuff, or from a local farm that was delivered to my farm shop. Okay. So it's all eat. Oh, make. I got to tell you, I think I ate five bowls of it. I, like, I can barely <laughs> move. It was so good. And, uh, I, I mean, I'm really stuffed. And I think still like probably not even that many calories, but anyway, I see how easy it is. But then every now and then I'm, I'm outside of New York city and I realize you're stuck with Applebee's and Olive Garden and stuff. <laughs> much, first of all, it's, it's more expensive. It tastes, ter- it, I think, I mean, the taste is like, you know, sugar, fat and salt are pretty pleasing, but it's not, it doesn't have the flavors of the vegetables and stuff. In any case, I do recognize it's pretty tough to change these things. Like urban planning is not something you can change overnight. And I hope that one of the things that I help happen with this podcast is that, oh, it'll be on a small scale, at least at the beginning of putting pressure, like if everyone's driving around, you're never going to get changed to make it easier to ride a bike. If a bunch of people ride bikes, then it'll become, there'll be pressure on politicians and they'll realize they'll get votes if they make it easier to bike and so forth. But even with all the pressure that you could possibly get, it's still going to take years or decades for some of these changes to happen. I mean, to me, that's all the more reason to bike more. But when you think of the changes, if we want to keep to two degrees Celsius, the changes at the pace we have to do it, it's like really tough to, some of these things, it's like hard to see. Or I was just reading a bunch of stuff on uh, plastic bags and how it's a no-brainer to me. To, you know, I when was the last time I got a plastic bag from a store? I still get them sometimes, uh, not from stores, but like my CSA sometimes, like the fruit comes in a plastic bag. But generally, I, you know, I bring stuff with me, my bags with me, and I don't have to get a new one. And if no more plastic bags were available, I would do just fine. And but what happens somewhere? There's a factory that a bunch of people, their sole source of income or their source of income is plastic bags. So what happens to them? Innovation creates a new opportunity for all of those, you know, all those men and women. Yeah, in the long run, I definitely, yeah, no reason to slow down the change. But, you know, I guess I would say accelerate it by having job placement things or retraining things to repurpose stuff and get people doing new things in new areas. But you still have these challenges of riding a bike. You you were on some road surface that wasn't so bike tire friendly. Oh, exactly. And... It's easier, I think, in the Bay Area, maybe the Pacific Northwest and some other locales where there at least has been some modicum of thought to alternative ways of commuting other than other than a motor vehicle. And I do have a fairly clear, although not entirely comfortable path, you know, all the way to my office. I still have to weave through traffic. I still have to weave through back neighborhoods. And I still have to compete with the same space as, uh, you know, two, three ton you know, vehicle. So you're right. If there were more focus on bicycles or if politicians had the, the strength and courage to create new policies that assist, if we had individuals in these communities where perhaps it means a little bit of a disruption from their traditional way of life to allow for better access for alternative commuting, all of these things could work. 
one of the biggest challenges in the San Francisco Bay Area, obviously, has been the not-in-my-backyard type of mentality when it comes to expanding the Bay Area rapid transit system or looking at high-rise condensed housing that makes it a lot easier for people to commute shorter distances, uh, walk. And so I hope through this podcast and some of the challenges that your your current and future guests will take on that kind of challenge to say, how can we disrupt community development in a way that facilitates an, an easier balance between the commute and the areas and the communities in which they live with a goal of you know, certainly reducing carbon emissions, but I think improving many, many other aspects. Uh, community-supported agriculture would be incredible, and I think it could free up arable land as well for you know to encourage that kind of activity. Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable, join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more, and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. You know, I was going to say something, and I have to say, since you mentioned community-supported agriculture, my stuff comes from there. I did a blog post recently realizing that the farm that I get my vegetables from has been doing a CSA structure, financial structure, for over 20 years now. And it didn't occur to me until recently, when you're selling vegetables to go to a supermarket, you are growing vegetables. I mean, everyone knows this, but it didn't hit me. You're growing vegetables to look like bright red and big and have long shelf life, even if they're driven across the country. And when you're doing it, and even if when you're selling at a farmer's market, you have similar, you know, it doesn't have to drive as far, but you still got to make it look good. But when it's a CSA, their motivation, the best thing they can get is for someone who's doing it this year to do it again next year. And that means delicious. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to have that long of a shelf life because everyone's getting stuff every week. So it, you really got to eat this stuff quick. And I'm getting vegetables from a farm where the farmers whom I've met and I've been on the farm several times. All they're doing is like, how can we make these vegetables more delicious? And I guess they got to have them like time so that you get roughly the same amount every week and variety. And I'm very happy to have a variety of delicious vegetables. That's like perfect beyond what, I mean, it's, it's great if you come for sustainability, but you're going to stay for the flavor. <laughs> <laughs> and I was going to, then I was going to say also for everyone listening, if you're, if you have challenges of what you're doing, you know, give it a shot, do something and help create pressure to make it easier the next time. If you're living in Houston or something, then, uh, well, Houston just got hit with the, with the hurricane. But uh, if you're living in a place that's not bike friendly or difficult to get uh, local produce or difficult to get by without air conditioning or something like that, or it's got, it's all uh, coal. Take the first step, do what you can. And I think that's one of the things you, Mike, you haven't heard this, but a lot of people, they're having these little changes. Like this one guy I was talking to last week and all this thing was, all he was going to do was compost for a little while. And he had a challenge because there was a place near him that was one day of the week where he could drop off his compost and a place that was a little farther, but the timing it was difficult. Next thing you know, he's like talking to his building about getting curbside or in-building composting. And he's doing all his research to find out how to make that happen, which now I want to do with my building, which I probably wouldn't have done. I kind of knew it could be possible. And actually, I saw in Brooklyn, they have uh, curbside recycle, uh, curbside composting. So there's all these. Oh, that's great. 
yeah, brown trash cans where you put your compost and they pick it up from your house. And I saw one in the West Village near where I live. I saw a brown trash bin and I thought that means someone got someone to pick up from their building. And that means I can do it too. And these little things make a difference. You know, what are your thoughts on this? That a lot of people say a little bit makes, you know, do a little bit because every little bit adds up. But I think little things don't add up to that much. But what the reason for doing little things is not that the little thing counts for very much, but that once you act, then if you, you can't act on big things, or it's very difficult to act on big things if you haven't acted on the little things first. So it's really more about yourself and what you see and what you see yourself capable of and what you find out how to do. That's what counts is like, do something with the mindset that that will open up doors for other things. Yeah, I, I totally agree. For me, this was also about well, proving to myself that I could create a, a new habit, which was to see myself commuting in an alternative way and get that repetition going, understand the cadence, understand how I needed to change my schedule, how I needed to step out of my comfort zone in certain things, deal with disruptions or delays on buses and not let that affect me, figure out how I can still balance the, the priorities with my family and the schedule with my family. And I think as I've stepped out of my comfort zone and I've faced these kinds of challenges, I've said, okay, great. I now have experienced the scenario. I now know what to do when I come up against it again. And had I not done these small things, I wouldn't necessarily have ever known that. And I would have stayed in this place of fear, stayed in this place of, of uh, self-happiness with, you know, what, what I, you know, the status quo with what I was doing. Complacency. Yeah. Complacency is the, is the perfect word. And so, okay. So earlier you said satisfaction, but also dissatisfaction. And now when you're talking about what you're talking about now, how do you feel about that part? I mean, I think the dissatisfaction that I didn't accomplish my goal and, and didn't sustain the pattern over the last uh, week and a half or so is, is still there, but there's hope. So I still think I have, you know, I still think I have a ways to go of balancing some of the disruption, but I'm okay with it. I'm comfortable in my discomfort, if that makes sense. Okay. I, I mean, I'm going to kind of lead the witness here a little. Uh, and object if you want, but I think that the dissatisfaction is something that you'd rather raise up and be aware of than have it underneath and not act on it. Cause I, I bet it was there before. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I, I was, I was dissatisfied with, with knowing that I had this pretty clear path to, um, alternative commuting. The shuttle stop was about two miles from my home, which on a bicycle, you make really quick work of that. And what I needed to get used to was um, how to pack for it, how to plan for it, how to start my day and get ready, how to balance the morning activities with an almost two-year-old, how to wrangle the bicycle on and off the bus and at work. And so when you think about all these little steps along the way, you know, all the way from what's normally pretty easy, get in a car start your commute, get angry at all the drivers on the road, get worked up and then get to work and start your day. You're now introducing all these little micro transactions or micro thoughts. And for me, as I started experiencing them and said, you know, this isn't so bad, I can overcome this. Then it becomes a clear one hour commute. You watch all the cars stacked on top of one another and you're just cruising by at about 18 miles an hour. And you're thinking about your day. You're thinking about, you know, the weekend. You're thinking about planning for your holidays. It becomes a very different proposition. 
you're not on alert as much of you know somebody cutting you off. Um, there's very little bike traffic along my route, and so it um, it became a, a rather enjoyable you know middle leg I'll say uh, where I'm not dodging vehicles closely through East Palo Alto or dealing with exploding tires. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I hope everybody listening is thinking, huh, that thing that I was thinking about doing, maybe I should do it. Maybe I'll get this joy and the satisfaction and all these little knickknack things that are keeping me from it. Well, what happens to all these knickknack things that are keeping you from it or that were keeping you from it? Yeah, you get over it. You, you, you say, you know what? I've experienced it. That's not too bad. That's not too hard. Or, and you refine your system. You know, I started off, uh, bicycle, you know, biking with a backpack on and a five pound computer. And I said, okay, what if I set up a computer at home and a computer at work? Then I don't have to, I can take that off. And now I've been wrangling with a, a bag that clips onto the back of the bike. And I, you know, that's the next iteration of my system to help commute with my clothes. And what if I get a locker at work to deal with, you know, to just get set up there so I don't have to carry this stuff. And I've, I've got a lighter, lighter pack to, to bring. And I think you just refine your system and you learn as you go, you know, you learn what works and what doesn't. And, uh, you, you find a way through it. It's not, it's not hard. It's just uh, a little bit uncomfortable because it's not what you're used to. Yeah, it makes me think of like all my burpees and all my cold showers and stuff. When I travel, it's, you know, you just do it. You just figure out what time you can do it and when you can and when you can't. And then I make little games of it for myself because I'm nerdy and geeky. And so I make little nerdy geeky games of making sure of how, what day I do it on and so forth. And actually, no, you know, I was just up at West Point and I couldn't row because I didn't have my rowing machine. But one of the cadets in class, mentioned that he was on crew and I talked to him and I got to go to the West Point crew team. I, I got up at 5 a.m. and I couldn't go on the water with them because there was, first of all, it was dark still. And then there was like stuff in the water. So they were like, it's not, you know, we don't want to have someone not. Also, more to the point, I'd never been in the water before, but they have these tanks where you, uh, you're rowing actually with the oars in water, but the, you know, it's not in the river. It's just tanks of water. Hmm. And so a guy had hurt his shoulder and he couldn't go out on the boat. And the coach was like, yeah, have him teach you some technique and stuff. And he said, he said my technique was better than some of the novices. So I was like very happy about that. Anyway, so again, this is an example of if you, they were, I, my impression was that they were happy to have someone down there, someone like in to show the ropes and someone taking an interest in what they do and asking them why they do crew and stuff like that. And I, you know, I got a blister on my hand and on the backs of my heels, but you know, I, I'm very happy with these things, but that's my point is that all these things that seem like they'd be trouble, you wear with pride. And the thing about like, am I going to trouble someone about how do I find out how I can do my rowing when I'm away from home or some cardio? So some of it I got by doing in my hotel room, you can do jumping jacks and you can do mountain climbers and you can do standing bodyweight squats. And But you can also mention to someone, talk about crew, talk about an interest. And they say, oh, you know, I can help you with this. I can help you with that. Next thing you know, everyone's having a good time helping me do my thing, I think they seem to like it. I think that's a great, yeah, great story. And I think when you said that you had the five pound computer and now you have, you set things up at home and you set you up at the office. One thing I've noticed is that the higher rank you are in an organization, the less stuff you carry with you. <laughs> so that when you're an engineer or pre-med, you carry these giant textbooks, you're like the lowest rung. And then when you get up to being an executive, you have less stuff. And when you get to be like a chief executive, then you have people carrying stuff for you. So you have nothing. <laughs> and so I think you're going to, I see a promotion as a result of 
you having less stuff to carry around. And as you get, eventually you're going to have probably like a lighter bike or something like that. And people will be like, Hey, this guy's, uh, this guy's pretty hot stuff. <laughs> and people are going to be following you and they're going to be like, Hey, he gets people to follow him. He's a leader. Yeah. And maybe there's a metaphor in there as well. Um, you carry less baggage. I think you've find innovative ways of dealing with the, the challenges and the problems. And the more seasoned you are, you already recognize those, those challenges ahead. You're prepared for them and you don't need a lot of stuff. Yeah. And you enjoy them. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I, I hope a promotion's in my future. <laughs> uh, I, I love your optimism. I see it happening. I mean, it's if you behave, leadership is behavioral. It's not like there's a test that you take and now boom, you're a leader. It's if you behave like a leader and people respond to you as a leader, then you're a leader. And people who are other leaders will observe this and they'll say, people who are followers will say, I want to follow this guy because if I'm not making my dreams happen, I want to make someone's dreams happen. And if they're another leader, they say, well, this guy solves problems. Do I want him solving low level problems or high level problems? The high level ones are the important ones. I can't guarantee it. Although I am curious, <laughs> speaking about bigger things, now that this is, now that a lot of the challenges that were, uh, things that were challenges are you've taken care of, are you thinking about the next level or is it, are you planning for next things? In terms of like personal challenges or career challenges? I was thinking personal challenges with respect to the environment, like stuff that might have opened, like now that this is within your horizon, something new is on your horizon. Yeah. So something is new on the horizon and we are dipping our toe into the um, insane real estate market here in, uh, here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I'll let your imagination go wild on some of the, the prices. But we have looked at a, a very modest home um, up in the Hayward Hills, where it is nice and quiet. And I think that the next challenge is how can I make that home an environment where it embodies sustainability? We live in a solar rich area uh, where it's sunny many months of the year. Um, there is certainly an opportunity of looking at reducing emissions and pushing uh, green energy back into the grid. We've got the potential for uh, a small portion of, of la uh, land and what do we, you know, how do we handle that in terms of, you know, taking care of that on a regular basis, uh, avoiding pesticides, looking at alternative ways of, of trimming and enjoying that property. But then also just the inside, it's very easy to imagine um, a home with a, a lot of furniture, a lot of stuff, a lot of frills. And I think for us, the challenge is how do we, how do we keep it simple and not full of stuff and not cluttered, even though we are expanding our, our footprint, our living footprint by about 25%. Is that what you would have been doing anyway, or has that changed as a result of the biking? Good question. I, we would have been, we would have been doing this anyway. This was not as a result of uh, the, the challenge of, of biking, but it is, you know, I think, oh, in my experience, having owned a home before, um, it comes with a lot of responsibility and a lot to take care of. And I have always, I've always approached it from a sustainability standpoint and understanding what paints am I putting in, what type of flooring or cabinets or cleaning chemicals. So I think for me, it's a whole new opportunity to address sustainability in the home, particularly having come from a materials chemistry background in architecture and building and design. So it's, it's uh, going back to my roots, so to speak. But no, it was not, not as a result of the, the biking challenge. 
Well, I'd love to hear if the biking challenge influences your choices or your behaviors or things that you do up there. I will we'll definitely stay in touch. And I, I can't envision just yet uh, any any unique, unforeseeable, any unforeseeable challenges that I'll face. I feel somewhat seasoned going into this, but I know that every every neighborhood, every um, new home comes with its its quirks and its benefits and beauties. So we'll we'll see how it unfolds. Well, there's another big area that to me seems ripe because the community there seems like it's amenable to this sort of thing, although some pushback. And that's where you work at Google. And if all these coworkers of yours are seeing what's going on, I'm sure there's plenty of initiatives already, but are, is there opportunity to do more? There's so much opportunity, Josh. There's so much opportunity. One of the groups here that I am most impressed with is um, the real estate and workspace group. And I, I hope I'm getting that acronym correct. And internally, we call them RUS, R-E-W-S. And they have an incredible team of folks who have been spearheading um, sustainability initiatives for all of Google's workplaces and offices and everything from the furniture to the cables that are specced in the walls. They have been really focused on understanding what kinds of chemicals go in, the impact on ergonomics and light and uh, collaboration and Having met with them uh, last week, I think it was, of course, it feels longer because time flies. I was, um, in, we had a, a, an internal meeting to talk about opportunities to do more across material chemistry, not just in, not just in real estate, but uh, across the divisions of the company. And I won't get into any specific things, but what is so, what was so noticeable was the energy and enthusiasm and passion around doing the right thing. And uh, not just because it's our space where our workers are or it's the products that we put out into the world, but because we believe it's the right thing to do. And I, we feel like I'm, I'm sure I don't want to speak on behalf of them, but I, I imagine if we had more folks working in this area, we could put them to work immediately to create a really great vision around safer chemistry and, and healthy materials that could be disruptive you know, that could be disruptive in our market and, and certainly have a ripple beyond the company. So that's where, that's where I think the uh, one opportunity is, I'll say. Oh, sorry, I have to interrupt and say you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Google is looking to hire people in the area of making things more sustainable, or at least it sounds that way from someone on the inside. <laughs> I can't wait till someone comes back to me and says, Josh, your podcast got me hired. <laughs> okay, so I, I hope that's a reality. No, no, the, the interruption was welcome. So there's no shortage of stuff to do here. Um, there's just a shortage of hours in a day and bodies to to make things happen. And that's the exciting piece is that Google is an incredible company that is focused on pushing and doing the right thing and finding ways of being disruptive in any way that it can. I'd love to hear if any of those people would love to be on a podcast such as this one. <laughs> I know they would. So I will talk to some of my colleagues and, and let you know. That'd be great. Uh, let's see. Any, I think it's good to wrap up around here, although keeping the door open, it, especially if what you've done leads to something that you wouldn't have done otherwise or leads you to see something you would have done otherwise, uh, I'd love to hear back and bring you back to share more. 
if it's okay to wrap up, then is there anything to that you'd want to leave the listeners with that we haven't covered so far that you think would be valuable to them? Yeah, I think that if any of your listeners are doubting themselves or doubting their ability to make a change, the only way to find out is to take on the challenge to step out of your comfort zone and experience it and test your ability to be resilient. Test your ability to overcome those challenges because what you learn in that process, the skills that you, that you develop will make you a better person in general, but it'll also help you take on bigger challenges in, in the life that you face, um, in the life that you're building. And along the way, uh, if the challenges are, are focused on improving the planet and sustainability, you're also doing something better for the world. So I, I look forward to hearing from your future guests, Josh, and, and learning about their success and how they're facing and overcoming challenges in the future. I like how you said that it's, it makes your life better first and the environment, that it really like it makes your life better. It does. All right. Well, thank you very much. And I, in, in the spirit of giving the listeners everything, when we hang up, we're actually going to hang up. But I hope to be in touch if you, if you have people at Google who are interested please put them in touch with me because I'd love to have them on. That sounds great. And, you know, when there's an update for the listeners about the house or the new plans or some new initiative that you could share with them, we would all love to hear it. Well, I look forward to the time of sharing again. Thank you so much, Josh. Thank you. Bye. Bye. I can't add much beyond that. As far as I could tell, Michael is experienced at sensing his values and acting on them. I think that's something we all would like to have. I'm curious if he'll follow up his personal experience with leading people more at Google or steering Google beyond where he would have otherwise. On a personal note, I'm not sure how much it led him to act on his values he would have otherwise. This was an early conversation, and I hadn't developed my environmental leadership technique. For me, I listened to this episode now almost two years after recording it, in part seeing how my technique developed. Also, listening to someone who cares about the environment and wants to act on it to act on something he wouldn't have otherwise. Did you feel inspired too? Then act. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse, and living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference and living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.